Welcome to the Kennedy Beacon Podcast's final show of 2023. I'm Francis Scott, and I'm here with my co-host, Nico House and Aaron Good. Hey, guys, good to see you. Hey, what's going on? What a year it has <laughs> been, but we made it. Yeah, I'm really excited to be talking to uh, John and Libby today, so uh, it should be a good show. There you go. Today we are having a conversation with producer Libby Handros and director John Kirby. The two are in the midst of creating a documentary series about the assassinations of President John F. Kennedy, Malcolm X, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and Robert F. Kennedy. It's called Four Died Trying. It's a multi-part series that'll be on Apple TV and other streaming platforms. And you can watch the prologue episode right now. I watched it on Apple TV and it did get a top spot on the platform in earlier this month. We're talking December, 2023. But before we welcome them, we want you to hear this clip from chapter one, which will be streaming, as I said, in early January, 2024. The biggest daily in Madison, Wisconsin, wrote up a petition uh, that was filled with quotes from the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence, and then the reporter took it out to the streets and asked people to sign it. 111 out of 112 refused because they said it seemed to be subversive. The red puncheon falls and the chief of police is hustled off to jail. Watch carefully what happens to an editor who operates under a free press. He goes to jail, too, and his newspaper is confiscated. Exit freedom of thought. So you think you own a car? Now it belongs to the state. And where is your identity card? Yes, this is life under the Soviet form of government. It can't happen here? Well, this is what it looks like if it should. So it was a period of fear. And I remember being scared by my dad's stories because he told me that the Russians are inside the country. They're, they're here. They're here already! John They're in our schools, they're in our colleges, they're in our Congress. They're, he wasn't a McCarthyite, but there was a fear, a paranoia about them, which is still evident today, obviously. Don Siegel, the filmmaker who made the first version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is a great, you know, horror movie, was asked, why did you make this film? And he said, well, it seemed to me a lot of people were turning into pods and I wanted to make a movie about it. <laughs> Hilltop, a third front. It's a malignant disease spreading through the whole country. So on the face of it, it looks like an anti-communist film because there's something communistic about the pod people's regime, you know. Suddenly, while you're asleep, they'll absorb your minds, your memories, and you're reborn into an untroubled world. Where everyone's the same? Exactly. What a world. But the American people were turning themselves into pods in their opposition to what they called communism. They didn't actually know what that was. They just knew that they didn't like it and it was dangerous and you should tell the authorities if you suspected it in anyone. They are enemies, they are not Americans. It was a kind of triumph of the mediocre against anyone who was thoughtful or original. Why don't, don't we they do beat it? Nick's to homosexuals? They're communists! Libby Handros and John Kirby, great to have you on the show today. Welcome. 
Thank, Thank you. you. Th thanks for having <laughs> us. Uh, that was an unmixed uh, sample uh, that you guys were playing, but uh, I hope people got a sense of, of what they were listening to, the, the, the great Red Scare. But I'll, I'll let you guys lead, take the lead here. Yeah, I, I recognized all, um, I recognized Oliver Stone's voice and Mark Crispin Miller's voice. Uh, so two two friends of mine, I uh, that I'm happy to hear uh, in the audio there. All I have to say: the triumph of the mediocre. Jesus Christ, that was beautiful. It was so beautiful. It's so on point because just of how much we are seeing that take place today. It just was like I remember seeing it when I watched it when you guys sent it to me, and I was like, "Good God, this is so accurate." It's sad how accurate it is. Well, that yeah. Sorry, Francis. Go ahead. No, no. You you have been working on this at least seven years with with context work. Right before that, what happened to these four men? It's got to be really hard to tell. Kind of in a way that shows us maybe the big overarching story that that needs to be told. I was hoping you could explain to us why it was important to you to tell these particular four stories together, not just because they happened around the same time, but why did they need to be told together as one story? Well, I have to give credit where it's due. Our executive producer, Mark Gorton, who uh, I'd like to take some responsibility for getting him over to the Bobby campaign. Uh, <laughs> he started with us. He started with our film and now he's you know over with you guys. But um, he, uh, he actually had this great idea, this compelling idea, which was what are the what do the children of the assassinated, the major assassinated figures of the 1960s think about what happened to their parents? And so that was our, our kind of the origin point. And then from there, we expanded. Uh, again, this is tw seven years ago. We thought we were going to do a feature mostly focused on the kids. We were going to call it something like Our Forefathers or something, you know. And so, it, it, but we ended up, you know, realizing, talking to people like Jim Douglas and later David Talbot, we, we, we said, uh, my gosh, we've got to really interview all these people who are about to die. I mean, you know, there, there are people like Paul Schrade, who was, you know, shot along with Bobby Kennedy Sr. and has been advocating or was advocating for the last years of his life for the, you know, uh, the, the, the innocence uh, of Sirhan Sirhan in the shooting of Bobby Kennedy. So, you know, we spoke to him. We spoke to, in the end, over 120 people who were colleagues, friends, even enemies of these four guys. And, uh, you know, it, it's been a, an extraordinary journey and that's just expanded and expanded as we've gone. So that's, uh, you know, that's the kind of proximate cause, but the overarching reason is, you know, and I'll, I'll borrow this from, you know, we have the same motivation as, as does uh, a young authoress named Monica Vizak, who did a film called, uh, uh, sorry, a book called uh, the last uh, America's last president, which, you know, we had the, the same thought, which is, you know, if you're going to try to trace what has happened to the country and to the world, you know, in modern history, uh, these assassinations are as good a starting point as any. I mean, yes, you have to go further back, uh, you know, to understand the background. And that's why our chapter one is about the Red Scare. But, um, you know, and you can go all the way back. But but as a starting point, these four assassinations really do mark a major sea change in, in what's going on in America. I mean, Kent, John Kennedy, you could say, was sort of an interregnum. He was an interruption in, in the growth or the path of empire. You know, there, there was a possibility that we might sort of do something along the lines of our founding ideals when he was president. And he, he took it as his responsibility to represent the great 
mass of people who didn't have a lobbyist in Washington. That was, mm. that's how he talked about it. And so when he, and, and he does that, he angers absolutely everyone in the establishment. So, um, you know, it, it, and they, all four of these guys know, sorry to go on, but the, all four of these guys know that they're, what they're doing is very dangerous. They know they're looking their death in the face and they do it anyway. And I think that if the, the, to answer your question, what's important about this and why now is that we need to draw a lesson from their example. We need to say, you know what, what these guys were fighting for, which was, you know, what, by the way, what actual liberalism used to look like, you know, you know, it was anti-war, it was colorblind, it was about, you know, working class politics, it was, you know, all these kinds of things that we thought were, you know, that we were dreaming about, that was the dream. Um, that is what these guys represented. That's what they died for. That is what upsets the powers that be. And they were courageous enough to act on their understanding and, and we should be too, no matter what the consequences. You know, what you say reminds me about what, uh, uh, MLK's famous line when he's like, uh, when you said that they knew how dangerous the work that they were doing was. And he's like, I don't want to be a martyr. I want to live. And it, it, like he was so serious because he understood where he was at. And people were saying, oh, like he's ready to die for a cause. He's like, no, I don't want to die for this cause. But like this is the path that we're on uh, based off the choices that we're making if we don't see any change in society. And unfortunately, he did end up being a martyr for the cause. I don't know if you guys know, I actually reviewed the prologue episode for The Beacon about four weeks ago. Um, yeah, that was a powerful. That. Was great. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank oh. you. Yeah, it was a powerful beginning to the series. Honestly, there's so much that I found to be relevant as we move into 2024, which, as we all know, is an election year. Uh, the reason today's show began with that particular clip is because this new episode that you have coming up focuses on a time in U.S. history when Americans were afraid of being accused by friends or colleagues of either being a member of the Communist Party or even sympathetic to communism. Uh, and right now we're experiencing a level of media censorship and self-censorship that seems to be equal in scope of, to uh, what was happening in the late 50s and 60s. So what are your thoughts on the similarities between uh, what we're experiencing now and what they were going through back then? Well, I mean, we had to do this episode, uh, this chapter one episode about the Red Scare for so many reasons. First of all, to make people understand what it was that... Uh, John Kennedy and Martin Luther King in particular were up against when they were trying to do the things they were doing. When Kennedy calls for peace with Russia, you know, just, you know, as a thought experiment, imagine somebody doing that now, right? You know, imagine somebody saying, you know, we need to stop provoking Russia in with, you know, the proxy war in Ukraine. I mean, these are the kinds of things. Now it's been reversed, of course. You know, now the populist insurgent right is being accused of being a fellow traveler with Russia. And anyone who questions, say, you know, vaccine safety or efficacy is considered somehow a, a puppet of Russia. So it's, yep. it's I, I was going to say, we don't have to do a thought experiment. We already know what happens if you try to say we should yeah, have peace right, exactly. You, you lose your job, you know. You're right. like, <laughs> All that stuff. So, I, mean, I mean, if you, I think people, when they, so, so, and of course, King was, you know, having to deal with this idea that, you know, he had communists on his staff and he was, you know, they were pressuring the Kennedys to put wiretaps on him because one of his, you know, funders had once been, a, you know, in the Communist Party. So, you know, this is the kind of thing that they used as a bludgeon, right? And, they, and they're using it again, you know, just it's sort of reversed. Now, as, I, as Nico, as I know, and I heard your podcast about this, as I know you picked out in particular, I mean, 
this time period rhymes so much with today, right? We talk about mm-hmm. history not repeating, but rhyming, it rhymes. You know, when you when you played that clip just now about, you know, they're trying to imagine what a totalitarian America would look like, right? And it's like, you know, well, you, you won't, you know, and where, you know, you don't own that automobile anymore. And where's your identity card, you know? I mean, oh, and imagine being I mean, thrown in jail for being a journalist in 2023. Well, that never happens. Well. I mean, and we were, you Julian know, we did a series called Perspectives on the Pandemic. We were the first people out of the gate with a show that, you know, interviewed dissident scientists and doctors, you know, in March of 2020. Uh, he had millions of views and it was canceled by YouTube. It was shut down. We were deplatformed, you know. And, and, you know, the only people that covered it, funny enough, were the New York Post, Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram, which was kind mm. of a surprise to us. We had never watched those people before. You know, Alex <laughs> Jones did a lot about it. So this is this is what we were dealing with as people, you know, from the nominal or I at least was from the nominal sort of left. You know, the left was gone, you know, as Bob, you know, nominal the only left people left from the left were, you know, Bobby Kennedy and uh, Naomi Wolf and Mark Crispin Miller and a few people like that. But most of the rest of them were like, oh, yeah, big pharma military totalitarianism. Let's go. You know, they were I'm on board. I mean, it was insane. Total so, opposite case, of the sixties and the seventies, right? For the yeah. left, it's oh, crazy. Amazing. I mean, and they, you know, they got people over through Trump derangement syndrome, and I think he's part of all this. But they got them to, you know, suddenly say, "Oh, thank God for the FBI and the CIA. They're the only <laughs> thing standing between us and totalitarianism." I mean, amazing, uh, incredible propaganda work. And so, all throughout Chapter One, we hope people will hear the echoes of what happened to them in the past three years. I mean, we basically went through another red scare with vaccine passports, with, you know, your mandatory support for Ukraine, with cancel culture, with censorship, with self-censorship, with this Klaus Schwabian idea of you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. All these things are evident in that clip. The picture that the propagandists from the right were painting then is what has in fact happened, except it's under the patina. It's in a kind of progressive drag. You know, mm. you're doing this for the, the good of the people. You know, when you, you know, take, you know, we bully you into taking this experimental drug from big pharma, you know, who have just been like literally, you know, poisoning people through the opioid crisis for the past, you know, 15, 20 years. But go trust us this time. It'll be different. I mean, it's insane. <laughs> so, you know, this is the kind of thing that, that so hopefully people see this episode and they go, wow, you know, history really does repeat. And, uh, you know, we have to arm ourselves with the knowledge of this stuff or we are indeed, as the old cliche goes, condemned to repeat it. 100%, 100%. Before uh, I say anything else, I want to uh, make some full disclosure here. I uh, do work for John and Libby on the series, doing things for the website and and other things now and then for them. Um and people should also know that the co-founder of American Values 24, Mark Gordon, as was taught, he was discussed earlier, he's the executive producer of the series. So people should be aware of this, that, you know, we have our connections to this, uh, this project. But for me, it was a very organic thing because um, after I, I worked on the Obama campaign and after that went, his presidency ended up being not what it was promising. Uh, it, you know, he ran on a campaign of change. Very that was his theme, change, change, change. <laughs> and then in retrospect, really, it's obvious that he was really the exact opposite. He was continuity, continuity, continuity. And this this really uh, upset me. And I started to read about, uh, the try to figure out what happened. I read JFK and the Unspeakable. And he was, uh, James Douglas is the author of that. And he was going to write about the other assassinations as well. So he also saw them as one, as being connected. 
Lance DeHaven Smith, writing about state crimes against democracy, saw that. And even before him, Peter Dale Scott in the 70s was writing about all of these in different ways. But nobody had done this in a documentary film or in a way that was really accessible to a to regular people who are not academics and, and aren't deeply steeped in this kind of stuff. So it's a natural fit, and I'm really happy to be to be working on it because it, it does get to the, the point of what we're talking about here, which is a kind of a totalitarian system, which means just totalitarianism means like whatever, there's no element that can challenge the regime. There's no element of it. We have the democracy, which is supposed to let us control it, but if there's if it's not looking like it's going the right way, they can just murder people and, and then say we didn't do it. I mean, this is like what the clandestine state does, and we need to grapple with that. Leftists are, are radical leftists in the U.S., which should understand this for for whatever reason, have ideological blinders, and uh, mm-hmm. so they can't. So I really am. I, I can't praise this project enough. Uh, sincerely, now I want to follow up a bit on the question that Francis asked. Um, when you decided that you were going to look at the different stories of all of these four men in one series, uh, how did you figure out who you would want interview? Because looking back on those interviews, uh, how, how do you feel about them? Not just the history that you were discussing, but the weight of some of these individuals as uh, historical figures, as inspirational figures, people like Andrew Young, Dick Gregory, uh, and others who aren't, who are, uh, aren't, I mean, Andrew Young is still alive, but Dick Gregory is no longer with us. I mean, this is, you guys recorded his last interviews. How do you feel about the, uh, the weight of the of responsibility really to handle these things, uh, correctly? You know, we were extremely lucky to get some of these interviews, but by the same token, we chased a lot of these people for a long time. Dick Gregory required going to, two or three of his comedy shows and sitting down with him after them and, you know, explaining what we were doing and finally getting him to agree. And of course, on none of these did we know they were going to be last interviews. We didn't know it would be Dick Gregory's last interview. We didn't know it would be Mort Saul's last interview. Um, So that kind of weight didn't really sit upon us. But Telling these stories, it's almost like a thread. You start with one interview like you like you did. We knew Jim Douglas. We'd read his books. We knew David Talbot. We read his books. So we started somewhere with some kind of premise. And you, you look at that and you think, oh, where else do I go? And one interview leads you to the next, to the next, to the next. And even at 120 plus interviews, now we're finding there's still a few threads that we're teasing out. And we got to go follow that lead and see where it takes us. And because we've now done so many, it's kind of like, well, don't stop now. Let's keep going and really get the story because who else is going to do this? Who else is going to have the time, the ability? I mean, we missed people. There are people in 2016 when we started that we should have interviewed that that passed on us before we realized we should be talking to them. So you can't get everybody. And it's um, it's been fascinating. It's been uh, uh, heartbreaking at times. It's been difficult. Uh, but it's 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 it had to be done, and these people all you know um, share something very much in common, which is they wanted something something better for America. The hope of of freedom and democracy and the things that the founding fathers talked about in peace. You know what were they all talking about? Peace, and of course, talking about peace is not good for one's longevity. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine. So you guys were about four years into the actual shooting process. And then 2020 hits, your minds must have been blown. Like, what are the chances that you'd be in in the middle of this particular series? And then what happened happened. What take us back to where you were and, and well, how I'm it sure I'm sure it helped prime us 
to uh, to fight back as quickly as we did against the totally unscientific mandates and all the horrors that uh, were imposed upon us. Uh, it made us, you know, this being familiar, you know, we were talking before the show started about, you know, we were working on a project before we met Mark called uh, The War on Us, U.S. And that was about this idea of state crimes against democracy, um, you know, and, and the kinds of events like assassinations, like uh, it must be said, things like 9-11 that end up, you know, centralizing the power of the state and uh, and 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 exerting, you know, control over the people. And of course, you know, this thing that happened in, in March of 2020 that we, that no one, even the people who have been studying it deeply can truly appreciate yet. None of us can. We don't really know what just happened to us. It's, it was, it's beyond uh, horrific. It's, it's truly unspeakable to quote Jim Douglas's subtitle, you know, JFK and the unspeakable, why he died and why it matters. He talks about that force that Thomas Merton uh, described, the unspeakable, that that kind of evil that can do things like this, that can assassinate men like Martin Luther King, that can lock people down in their homes for weeks and weeks and weeks just to exert the control, the power of fear over them and put, you know, bacteria-laden diapers on the faces of children because they can't read each other's facial expressions. I mean, it's a horror. And so I, I think that, you know, by living the example of these four guys, we were able to have the courage to not lock down, to not uh, abide by these, you know, ridiculous strictures that we, of course, later found out were based on absolutely nothing and produced that we did do out of our own dime, out of our own pockets, a sideshow called Perspectives on the Pandemic. And, um, you know, uh, some of those are still up. Some of those are up with, you know, we had an undercover nurse, you know, with, you know, uh, which still, she went into Elmer's hospital. We gave her glasses with camera in it. And, you know, she discovered, oh, you know, they're just calling people COVID cases. They get $39,000 a piece for it, you know, and, and they're venting people immediately. Whereas she came from a hospital in Florida where they were using the forbidden free medicines, hydroxychloroquine, et cetera, which I confirmed with her administrator. And um, they were saving people. They didn't lost, didn't lose anybody. So, you know, this this is the kind of thing where we talked to Shushart Bhakti. You know, we were one of the first to interview him. And he's talking about, you know, blood clots from the early trials in Germany. And, you know, he was writing letters to the European Medicines Agency saying this is going to be a disaster. It's going to kill people. And lo and behold, we're seeing this horrible epidemic of sudden adult death syndrome. I mean, and children and young people dying of myocarditis. And, you know, LeBron James's son having a heart attack. I mean, yeah, what the hell was that going one on? was crazy I mean, you know, this, out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, people dropping like flies all around us if you're looking. Right. So anyway, so to answer your question, it really put a I mean, we were blown away. We acted as best we could. You know, I'm proud that we were, you know, the first to do kind of interviews with scientists and, and doctors who were dissidents, you know, I mean, really respected people from Stanford and Rockefeller University who were just like, hey, wait a second, maybe we should, you know, take a moment. I mean, I, none of our, maybe we my, should do the science thing, right? Like, maybe we should science this a little bit, guys. Let's science <laughs> it a bit. And that's what John Unides <laughs> was all about, you know? And so he wasn't like a, a, a conspiracy theorist. He was just like, you know, wait a second, this is, uh, I'm just going to, my friends at Imperial College, they might be a little bit wrong about the case fatality rate. You know, I, I've redone the math. Anyway, this is what we put out there. 
that got to shut down. And as I think Bobby Kennedy has said uh, many times, you know, the good guys are never on the side of censorship, right? They're just, that is always like a red flag that this has gone bad. But it really changed, it really put a a damper on Ford Eye trying because here we are trying to get interviews with people and we were just about to get an interview with X or Y or Z and suddenly it's off, right? And we can't do it. So now we're like, okay, we got to figure out strategies around this. Because of the lockdowns or because you had put out perspectives on the pandemic? Well, no, that's a good question. But no, because of the lockdowns and, you know, uh, because of people's, you know, uh, profound fear fear that was instilled in them by this propaganda campaign. So, Mm. you know, we we had to like, you know, and there were the I mean, I could not deal with the mask stuff. So sometimes, you know, and, you know, sadly, a lot because they dressed this in radical chic, you know, they dressed it in progressive drag. Some of the a lot of the radical lefties from the 60s really bought into it. And so we're trying to interview people from, you know, who were friends with Malcolm and they're like, you know, all about the mask. I'm like, oh God, this can't be happening. But a lot of them weren't, uh, you know, there were, there were some who weren't, but you know, too many sadly uh, were. And uh, anyway, we did our best and we sent, we'd have, you know, crews be live on, on location in places like Atlanta and, you know, we would then zoom in to see the shot and, you know, it just became like an ordeal to do mm. interviews. You know? Can we still see that somewhere as perspectives yeah. on the pandemic? The entire series is on our on the uh, Press and the Public Project website. And if you um, just Google perspectives on the pandemic, it will come well, up. For some reason, Google has not taken down the undercover nurse um, or is that Nurse Aaron. Nurse Aaron. Yeah, we we introduced Nurse Aaron to the world, and uh, someone someone has uh, not, and they've not taken down Shushar Bhakti. So they're sitting there. They got kind of capped at two million and three million views, respectively. But they're sitting there. So, so I don't know. Uh, I I don't know what to say. I mean, that, that some so of them are still up. Really quick, I wanted to ask: Do you guys think that this this new series that you guys are work on, working on is? Do you think it's going to affect the outcome? of 2024, especially given that Bobby is actually a part of the series. Well, we're trying to stay not involved in politics. And, um, you know, I mean, we were concerned about that. I mean, you know, you know, Aaron did full disclosure. The full disclosure is, is that, again, we we did all these interviews before Bobby announced. We are not like a part of the Bobby campaign. I personally am a Bobby supporter, but I, you know, that is something else. I think that if people watch this, and hear what he has to say. I think it will tend to make him look good. <laughs> I think, you know, he is definitely, uh, as Monica Wiesak in her book, uh, America's Last President, wrote, she dedicated the book to Bobby as the, as the true inheritor of, of his father and uncle's spirit. So mm-hmm. I think that that is, um, I think that's evident. And, um, you know, I hope we can get all of the, you know, our plan for the series is to have uh, to cover all of Kennedy, John Kennedy, up to the time he is shot, uh, then Malcolm X up to the time he's shot, then Martin up to the time he's shot, and then Bobby Sr. up into the time he's killed. And uh, that is kind of, you know, season one, if you will, you know, those four yeah. parts. And that we're hoping to finish by November. You know, it, 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 it may be a long shot at this point, but we're, we're hoping to to make that happen. And then and so that'll be done by the election. And, and you know, hopefully that, you know, I do hope that it has a positive impact for the yeah. you know, sanity. It's, it, and not even just on like when it comes to, you know, the, the presidential election, right? Ballot initiatives, remembering 
every way that we've been lied to and conditioned to support certain policies from other politicians that you may be voting for in 2024, right? We see the McCarthy, the, the neo-McCarthyism, and we know about the pandemic policies, and we know who supported those policies. So hopefully after watching this, people's eyes are open, because like you said, history rhymes, and we're, we're seeing that actively. Um, and I really hope that people find their way to this series so that they can, can see how history repeats itself. Now, if you don't have Apple TV, uh, you want to go ahead, Libby, and let everybody know where they can find it at on all the streaming platforms. And if sure. you want to add something uh, before we close about the, the Patreon that's been set up for the series. So um, you can see it not only on Apple TV, but Google Plus, uh, Vimeo, Journeyman, and uh, YouTube. And, YouTube. and um, we will be launching a Patreon uh, drive at the be- in the beginning of the year because when we started this, way back in 2016, the archival footage was significantly cheaper. And as time has gone on and during, during the pandemic, the archive houses consolidated and all sorts of things happened. And believe it or not, the networks now even want to look at how you're using their footage. So talk about censorship. There it is. Mm-hmm. So we want to free the history that belongs to the people, and we're going to need help doing that. So, you yeah, know. Please go, to, please go to their website, fordietrying.com, and sign up for you know, updates, you know, we're not bombarding people at all, but, you know, just sign up and we'll let you know when the new episodes drop and when you can help us on Patreon, we could really use your, your support. And that's F O R F O U R died trying everybody. So John Kirby, uh, Libby Handros, it's been an absolute honor to spend a little bit of your time uh, of our time with you discussing uh, some really important issues related to your work, the times we're living in. And of course, for die trying. Uh, I hope that you'll stop by again in a few months as the series unfolds. And on behalf of my co-hosts, Francis Scott and Aaron Good, I want to thank both of you for joining us. And I invite our audience to subscribe to the Kennedy Beacon Substack. It is free, completely free. I know it's the holiday season. Your pockets are probably a little tight right now, but that's okay because you can still get your news from, for us, from us for gratis, for free. That's for my Portuguese people. So check out the, the articles, the columns written by our talented and dedicated writers. Go check out for die trying and tune in the next week episode and we'll kick off the new year with a new episode of the candy beacon podcast